I want to introduce my message to you, and that is standing stones one generation away. So today we have some of our kids with us. Our kids started school. Some of the kids started this past week. Some start this next week, and some start over the weeks to come. But it is important for us to be passing down to the next generation, to this generation that is here today. So as all of us know, growing up, watching the news, Christianity has been under attack for years. It's nothing new, and God has, there's nothing new under the sun. Over the last few decades, we've seen crosses being removed that have been there for hundreds of years. Ten Commandments being removed and ordered by the Supreme Court to be uh, removed from courthouses that have been there for years and years. We've had prayer on the school level that has been banned in school. There's an increase of Christian businesses that have been under attack. I mean, all of you guys, this is going through your news feeds on social media. This is if you turn on the news of any account, you're going to be hearing of all of these things that are happening. You can't deny that there is a huge struggle in America right now. There's racial tensions. Abortion rights are being picketed and everything all around America. There's a redefinition of marriage. What does that mean? They're not wanting to go against the, what the Bible says, or they're not wanting to do what the Bible says, what the Bible definition of marriage is. Instead, they're redefining it. There's been a complete redefinition of gender. What is gender? I mean, how do you, how do you change that? I don't know. God said this. There's a staggering rise in mental health issues all across America, and there's a staggering rise in children with mental health. Suicide rates are through the roof. These statistics are from 1990, or sorry, 2019, so two years ago. And if you've watched those feeds, you know that it's even higher than this. Suicide was the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals between the age of 10 and 34. Second leading cause. There were nearly two and a half times as many suicides as there were homicides. So our world is in a crisis. America is in a crisis. It's in a crisis of faith or lack of faith. If you've been out to eat anytime, anybody? Have you been out to eat? Maybe. Have you been to the grocery store? Have you gone to Lowe's? What is it? Has anybody noticed anything? There's always something posted on the front of the door. Now hiring. Right. Now hiring. We're living in a society that would rather live off of the government than to work. Again, this is a God-given right. God has ordered us to, to work. Even in the garden when all things were perfect, Adam worked. All right? There's been a deconstruction of faith. That means there are people that are deconstructing the faith, the core doctrines of the Christian beliefs, and they're beginning to turn away from. This has been happening for years. 
And again, if you're on that social media, you might see some of these big-name pastors or singers, Christian musicians that are leaving the faith. So again, America is in a battle. All right? The late American president, Ronald Reagan, said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. This statement is ever so present today in the church. And so our main text today is going to be coming from Joshua. We're going to be in the book of Joshua, and we're going to be in chapters 3 and 4. Go ahead and go to Joshua 3, 7. So here's what happened. God's servant, Moses, great man of God, has died. The Israelites have spent 40 years in the wilderness, miracle upon miracle upon miracle of God's faithfulness. Moses has struck rocks. Rocks or water has come out of rocks. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've been um, delivered from the, from the Egyptians. Miracle upon miracle. The, the bitter water in Marah has turned sweet. So miracle upon miracle. Moses has died. And Joshua is the chosen leader to lead the Israelites. So Joshua comes before God in prayer, and God gives Joshua specific instructions. Joshua's been called by God, and then we're going to start right here in Joshua 3. So the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So up to this point, the Israelites are on the east side of the Jordan. All right? They've come to the Jordan. There's this huge body of water. This is in the flood stage. It's in the harvest time. It's anywhere from 3 to 12 feet. The Jordan flows from north to south, and it is flowing. It's rushing. It's the harvest season. All right? In the flood stage, it comes from the Jordan River, feeds into the, to the Dead Sea if you know anything about geography in that area. And so they're here on the east side. The promised land is on the other side. It's on the west side of the Jordan. And so Joshua knows that he has to get the Israelites over to that side, to the promised land, which God has told them for years, for over 40 years, that he is going to give them this land. All right? But God tells them, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to exalt you. All right? I'm going to exalt you. Next slide. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over to the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Co Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of water... The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam in the city there is Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah and the Sea Salt and the Salt Sea were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over to dry ground until all of the nation finished passing of the Jordan. You guys have to understand, a miracle has just happened. The priests are told that they are to take the Ark of the Covenant, 
They are to cross over or they're to go and stand in the middle of the Jordan. And when they go into the middle of the Jordan, when they step in, then the waters begin to recede and the waters begin to heap up into a pile far, far away. All right? And as that happens, this is giving the Israelites an opportunity to walk through, to pass through this Jordan. All right? Does this remind us of anybody? Does this remind you of anything? Moses and the Red Sea, right? The same act that God did for Moses, he is now doing for Joshua. All right? He is exalting Joshua before the people, saying, hey, this is my chosen leader. Joshua is my chosen leader. As I was with Moses, I am also with Joshua. Because all along, this has never been the Israelites' battles. God has always, just like that song was saying, God was before them. That is what the Ark of the Covenant that the priests were carrying represented. God's glory rested on the mercy seat. All right? So he was going before them, just like in the desert, in the wilderness, a pillow by fire by night and a cloud by day, that God led them through the wilderness. All right? This is the same thing. The Ark of the Covenant with the priests are leading the people across into the promised land because we serve a faithful God. We serve a powerful God. We serve a mighty God. We serve a miraculous God. We serve a way-making God. Y'all got that? All right? And so God is creating the same type of miracle that he created for Moses to show the people that, yes, follow him. Follow him. And so the people pass through. All right? And let's go to the next slide. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean? To you, Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the Lord of the covenant. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So the stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So there's dry land in the Jordan. The priests are still there with the ark of the covenant. The Israelites have passed through. The, the army has passed through that are going to lead the Israelites because they know that they're going into battle, that God is leading them to battle. They're supposed to overtake the Canaanites that are living in that land. This is the promised land, but it's still inhabited. All right? And so the people pass through. When they get to the other side, God has commanded, if you read Joshua 1, God's given all of these instructions step by step that Joshua must obey for all of this to come to pass, all right? And so Joshua, the people pass through, and the Joshua picks one person from every tribe, and they are to go back to the Jordan and to get a rock and to put it upon their shoulders, all right? That this is going to be an altar. It's going to be a memorial. It's going to be a sign for the people that whenever the children ask what these mean, 
then they can tell them. All right? So it's to serve as a sign. Now, if anybody knows my family and I, then you know that on our family vacations, sorry, we are trekking across America, going to different national parks, and we just love to hike and being outdoors and just being in God's magnificent glory and beauty of creation. And so whenever we're hiking, in these national parks especially, Grand Canyon, we've been to Zion, we've been to Bryce, we've been to Moab, we've been to South Dakota. And so along the route, you're going to see these different rocks, just like this picture uh, here over in the corner, this animation here. So there's, people will take these rocks and they will begin to pile them. They're called cairns, okay? They're called cairns. And what these are is they are marking a landmark. Maybe it's like an awesome picture moment where, or maybe it's even they're, they're along the route to kind of show the way so that you know where you're going, where the best path is to get wherever you want to go. All right? And so this is a cairn that the Israelites pretty much have built. It's not the first one. You see, on several occasions in the Bible, it mentions these stone pillars or these um, different rocks being erected, these standing stones, right? Jacob set up stone pillars in Bethel in order to remember his powerful dream in which God reaffirmed his covenant with him. This is found in Genesis 28. Moses built 12 standing stones at the foot of Mount Sinai after he had received the Ten Commandments. So after Moses was up on Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments, he came down and he called each one of the tribes of Israel to, again, make a stone, um, a, a pillar of stones, so that they would memorialize and remember what God had done at this point. The Israelites here at the Jordan are doing the same thing. They get these stones. These aren't like stones that anybody would have been able to get. All right, we're talking about 12 feet of water, but now since the ground is dry, they are able to get these stones, put them up on the shoulders. We're not talking about pebbles, okay? We're talking about some good-sized stones, and then they are to carry them and bring them to where God puts them at camp. So these were to serve as a sign. They were to serve as a memorial to remember what God had done. They are to be a talking point. A talking point. Whenever they are coming by this point and the children ask, what do these stones mean? Well, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about what he did. Let me tell you about how we came out of the wilderness, how we crossed the Jordan on dry land. Let me tell you about the provisions that he provided, the 40 years of manna. You see, the people are still eating manna to this point. All right? Let me tell you about how God is a powerful, mighty, awesome God. He created heaven and earth. All that we see with our eyes, he created. And these were also the sign, the sign of the Jordan was also to serve as a sign so that the people in the land who had seen this, who had heard about this, because let me tell you, New Zealand traveled fast back when this happened. 
The people in Jericho had heard. The people, the kings of that region had heard about what God had done for the Israelites as they crossed over. And so when they got to Gibeah, they erected the stones. That way, it would always be a memorial. Standing stones, one generation away. So just a few minutes ago, I read a quote. I'm going to read it again. This was the remarks of President uh, Ronald Reagan. It was in a freedom speech, and it's one of his most iconic speeches that he's ever given in light of things that were going on to America. It didn't happen when he was president. Instead, it happened several years before. It happened October 27, 1964, years before he would become president. Reagan delivered this address. You have to understand, America at this time is going through communism or, you know, communists all around, and this ideology is beginning to come over. There's foreign adversaries. There's civil rights movements going on. There's domestic issues, and there's other things that are going on in this time. Reagan says, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it in to our children and our bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, handed on to them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. What if we turned this around? The church is never more than one generation away from extinction. If the present generations do not teach the generations to come, if they do not pass it on to the younger generation, then it will begin to slip away. We can see it happening. We can see it happening. Let us look at the Bible for a picture of this. We've been in Joshua. At the end of the book of Joshua, if you turn to chapter 24, you know that everything's bright. They've conquered the people in the land. God has gone before them. God continues to miracles. They pass over the Jordan. But now we're in Joshua 24, 14, and it says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord your God and serve him with all sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods and your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if you keep reading, then you know that the Israelites all got behind him and said, yes, we are going to serve the Lord. But just wait. Joshua, in verse 24 and 27, built the standing stone and a covenant was made here in Shechem to remember this covenant and the people had just said, we are going to serve the Lord. So he, again, erected some standing stones so that they would remember this promise that they had made to God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. God had fulfilled his promise with Abraham to deliver his people from bondage. God parted the Red Sea, and they walked on dry land. He provided food in the form of manna for 40 years. He fought many battles on behalf of the people, and he delivered them into the land that he had promised. He had promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 
all by crossing on dry land. They crossed over the Jordan. And Joshua says that not one of the word of the Lord didn't come to pass. Because God is a faithful God. Now, if we fast forward just, just to the book to the right, that's the book of Judges. All right, you can put this slide up. And this is Judges 2, 7 through 11, and it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of the inheritance of Timnah Hares and in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all the generations were gathered to the fathers, and there arose another generation of them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They served the gods of the Canaanites, of the Amorites. Just years before, they had made a commitment that, yes, we are going to serve the Lord. My house is going to serve the Lord. A generation passes, and here we are, no longer serving the Lord. They're doing what is evil in the eyes of God. Unfortunately, commitments are easily forgotten or broken. A generation later, things are completely different. One generation serves the Lord, but the next does not know him. So what happened? What happened? How can this be? How can the generation remember God, and now they've completely turned their backs on him? Somewhere along the line, the current generation stopped seeing the standing stones. They stopped telling their children about the miracles of God. They stopped telling them about how God had delivered them on dry ground. Maybe the children even stopped asking. They got set in their ways. They saw it every day. They were living the comfortable life in the promised land of milk and honey. All right? The Israelites began to intermarry, and that was a no-no. For years and years and years, God said, do not marry those in this land. Do not intermarry. They're going to bring their gods with them. They're going to turn your heart. You're going to commit idolatry. You're going to be adulterous in your ways toward God. That means you're not going to be faithful to him anymore. And they began to compromise their relationship with God. So this sounds kind of familiar. Am I the only one? There's, there's times that the church isn't looking too different than the world. The church likes, looks like the world. We live in a culture where everything is at our fingertip. We got Amazon Prime. We can get it delivered the same day. We got DoorDash. We got Instacart. All right? We've got a fast food restaurant on every single main corner that there is. We have everything, again, at our fingertip. We are kind of like Burger King. We can have it our way. And if we don't like it, we can go on Yelp and review it and tell people that we don't like it. All right? So the society that we live in, 
we're house poor. We want the next phone, the next car, the next new shiny whatever it is. All right? We've got bills. We're having to work hard. Our, our schedules are stretched. All right? And this has led to a consumer faith. It's led to a consumer faith. We have everything at our fingertip. That means, hey, if we can have it our way like Burger King, then I can have it my way the same way in the church. Right? Can't I? I can have it my way in the church. You know, I don't like the way that praise and worship was today. Maybe I'll go find another church. They don't have this ministry for me. Maybe I'll go find another church. You know, I can watch church online. You see, we have to be the church. Not look for the perfect church, because there is no perfect church. There is no perfect church. And if there's a ministry that God's put in your spirit that you know that you want to be a part of, how about lead that? There may be somebody else that wants that too. Don't just leave a church because you don't like the way that it is. If God's not leading you to go be part of somewhere, then don't just get lead because you're offended, all right? Instead, we have to be obedient to God's word. We have to be the change that we want to see. We have to be the change. There must be a change. You see, God did not call us to condemn the world. Even he himself did not condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's what it says in John 3, 17. Okay? What do I mean to this? God is just, and he's the only one that can judge. Only the Holy Spirit convict, and only the Holy Spirit can turn people towards him. I mean, we have to be obedient and preach the word and teach the word, but it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. All right? We must be obedient to God's word, and as Christians, we are commissioned by Jesus to go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes, we stop there. It says we must teach them to obey. We must teach them to obey. Everything that I have commanded you. This is discipleship. And disciples are made through relationships. We must have relational examples to imitate. The generation to come must have relationships. That's the older generation coming alongside them and teaching them and loving them and correcting them and showing them God's word and praying for them and loving them. It takes the generation now that is willing to invest, to walk life with them, to be a spiritual mother, to be a spiritual father. It takes the generation in relationships. We need examples. So this brings me to a point of show and tell. And this is going to take everyone's participation. So if you've been sleeping, this is your time to wake up. All right? Okay. Psalm 78, 2 through 4 says, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from the old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide from them, 
from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. The principle of show and tell. Everybody's awake, right? Okay. I need eyes up here. Eyes up here. Kids. Okay. Adults. Okay. So we need to make sure that we're not just telling the generation. We need to be showing the generation. And I have a little exercise here that we're going to do. So I want to make sure that you can see me. Everybody sees me, right? Okay. So you're going to do what I do. Point to your eyes. Point to your eyes. I'm watching. Point to your eyes. Point to your ears. Point to your nose. Point to your mouth. Point to your eyes. Point to your nose. And then point to your ear. Did anybody point to your mouth? Anybody? Did you start pointing to your mouth, anybody? Why? Because you were watching me. You were watching me. It's not just a matter of what I tell you or what somebody's telling you. They're watching. They're watching. The next generation, they may not sound like you. They may not talk like you. They may not dress like you. They may not look like you. They may not act like you. But Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Instead, he came to make dead people alive. We want dead people to be alive. We're not all about morality and and character and doing good things. We want to see the dead come alive. And when they come alive in Jesus Christ, then it's the Holy Spirit that is able to sanctify them, that is beginning to make the process inside of them and to bring him, draw him closer to him. All right? Instead, Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with the tax collectors, with the adulterers. Those that were religious would not associate with him. Jesus practiced love. And come as you are, weary and broken. Come. The church is not a place for the righteous. Instead, the church is a place for the sinners. It's a place for the broken harder. It's a hospital for the sick. And if we are so righteous that we don't want to invite those into our church, then what is the reason for church? It's for dead people to become what? Alive. And we got a lot of people that have been made alive. A lot of Christians that are walking around with their heads down. You are alive. The victory, the battle has been given to you. You have things to rejoice in. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Tell the generation what has happened in your own life. Tell them. Tell them. Discipleship involves God's word. It involves God's word. We've got to be biblically literate. We've got to be in God's word. We have to be memorizing God's word. We have to be teaching God's word. Who here wants to pass on a strong faith to the next generation? Who wants your children, your grandchildren, or even the children of first at Firewheel to know the word of the Lord? 
Anybody? I sure hope it's everybody in here. I know our pastor does. I know Pastor Josh does. I know I do. It doesn't happen automatically. It happens only when we are intentional in teaching the children that our kids, that God is the God in the Bible. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That means he can still provide those miracles. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about healing. God is still healer, all right? He's still working in the lives of his people. If we're not seeing those things, I mean, get in his word. He wants to do them. He wants to do them not only for our own lives and for the lives and for the encouragement of the church, but he wants to do it as a sign for the unbelievers too. We must continually teach the children the foundation of the foundation of, Christ, of, of, of the church. The Christ is God's one and only son. He's his begotten son. He is also God. The Bible is inerrant. inerrant. It's infallible. It is the word of God. Everything that is in there is in there for a reason. You may not understand it. You may not agree with it, but you bring it up with God. It is his word. We have to dedicate our lives to reading it so that he can continue. The Holy Spirit can work in us, can correct us, can teach us so that we can be more like him. And we are created with a purpose from God. Our identity is found in him. Our identity is found in him. You want to know why suicide rates are through the roof? Mental health? I mean, these are three important things. People don't know their identity. They don't know their identity, that they are loved, that they are chosen. They are a royal priesthood. There are a few gen- reasons the generation of judges may not have arisen knowing the Lord. And I think a lot of it was that they stopped telling them. They stopped showing them. They stopped giving them the words of the Lord. They stopped. Last thing, disciples has to be committed in faith and rooted in obedience. So we must come along them. It has to be relational. All right? It has to be, we have to create disciples that are biblical literate. And then we also have to be obedient. We can't just know God's word. The head and the heart It's only 12 inches between. But boy, that that 12 inches sometimes is a long way to travel. It has to become more than just knowledge. It has to change our hearts. And we need the generation now. We need those here today to be willing to invest in the generation and the children. The children are here with us today, elementary children. Many are are still traveling, getting those last-minute vacations in. But we've got a lot of ministries that are starting back up this fall. We've got Bible classes for the kids that are going to start. We've got, still we have Wednesday nights going on for youth. I mean, Pastor JC earlier said that, you know, today's kind of a skeleton day. We've got a lot of people out 
well, some of these ministries, children's ministry, youth ministry, you know, I've, I've, I've done my time. I don't want to do that anymore. You know, well, no. If you're willing to invest in children, don't just, just say that you're going to do it. You have to show them. We need people in these seats that are willing to invest in them, that are willing to teach them, that are willing to come alongside them in, in these Bible classes, these Sunday school classes, in Firewall Kids, and the preschool, and the babies. If you don't think that a baby doesn't know God, yeah, they may not have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but boy, you can be praying for them. You can be speaking life into them. You know, their spirit, yeah, exactly, their spirit. Speak into them. Pray over them. Sing. Show them. Worship with them. It is the sweetest thing when you can get those preschoolers raising their hands and just loving Jesus. It is, it's awesome. They want to do what you're doing. Show them. Don't just show them on Sundays. Show them throughout the week, moms and dads, grandparents. Show them. Show them. Next week's our back-to-school Sunday. We're going to be praying for the students. We're going to be praying for the teachers, for the administrators. We're going to be praying for the parents. You know, we're getting back out of summer vacation and back into, you know, trying to schedule. And, and, but we need the church to come alongside the generation to pray for them. Not only pray for them, but be willing to teach them. Be willing to teach them. Or else we're going to have a generation that doesn't know God. And I don't want that. I don't want that for my own kids. I don't want that for my grandkids. I don't want that. So let's just go ahead and pray. Let's commit this to the Lord. I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit speaks to, to those that he's maybe drawing to come work along in kids ministry and youth ministry to be part of a team, to be something bigger than yourself. Let's just go ahead and pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this word, God, and I hope that I did you, you proud today, Heavenly Father God. We know that we need to be those that are in your word for you to encourage us, for you to work within us, Heavenly Father God. We thank you for your spirit who teaches us, who corrects us, Heavenly Father, Lord. And for those here today, Heavenly Father, for those listening online, Lord, will you just work in them, God. Soften their hearts. Put a conviction inside of them. If you have called them to do a ministry in this church, Lord, that they will step up and they will say, yes, I am willing, I am able. Let us be a church that is about the current generation that is about the generation to come that wants to be disciplers that wants to come along in relationship that wants to teach and love the children heavenly father lord we thank you so much we thank you for your spirit we thank you that as we go about our week this day this this week lord that you go with us that you go before us that you are fighting the battles on behalf of us lord we love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus, everybody says, amen. Thank you all so much. I hope that you have an awesome Sunday. Make sure to meet somebody new today that maybe you haven't met.
And God bless y'all.